Jesus House in Pursuit of God Discovering Purpose Maximizing Potential Impacting Lives This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London God bless you I want you to get uh, what, what, wherever you keep notes in. I want to do a teaching before we pray. So please, I, I, I pray that just open up your hearts and your spirit. Knowledge is power. The truth that we know sets us free. And I just wanted to talk to you a bit about spiritual warfare. Um, I have always known, of course, that this is part of our life as Christians. But now and again, the intensity of the battle comes home to you. And when you realize that, it, uh, today was one of those days where I realized that this battle, it, we really are in the thick of the battle and um, I just thought to bring a bit of a teaching before we pray thank you Heavenly Father for revelation let revelation knowledge come to your children O oh God spirit of wisdom and spirit of revelation we are asking Holy Spirit that uh, in those expressions you will come and rest mightily upon us in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Well, I'm not, I'm not so sure that, despite the fact that we say it, that we fully understand that we are in a war. We are in a conflict of two kingdoms. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you do. And a lot of times it can seem like this war is more mythical than real. And the enemy loves that. He wants us to just leave with a focus on the natural. He wants to make it seem like it's, it's a myth. And even for you and I as Christians, if, if we know it is not a myth, he wants it to be something that we push to the background. I remember, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that on this spectrum, the enemy would either want you to be in a place where you are preoccupied with him and his hordes of demons, or at another extreme where you convince yourself that he doesn't exist. He doesn't mind either extreme. But where we want to be is somewhere very, 
family in the middle where we, are, we know he exists. We know we are in a war. We know we are in a universal conflict. But we are not preoccupied with him because we understand some of the things that I want to share with you. If there's any scripture that helps us understand this, certainly the armies were against. It's that scripture you all know in Ephesians 6 verse 12. Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Please, he does not say that we do not wrestle, period. He says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. He says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, our preoccupation is not with human beings. Because we understand that whatever is happening here must be as a result of things that have happened in another realm, the spirit realm. So we wrestle, but it's not against human beings. It's not against persons with bodies. But we wrestle against persons without bodies. And Paul helps us understand that it's a very organized hierarchy of wickedness and evil, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The Passion Translation says, Your hand-to-hand -hand combat is not with human beings. So whilst Paul says it's like wrestling, the Passion Translation says it's, hand, it's like hand-to-hand -hand combat. It's not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. We are in, the Bible tells us, a, some serious hand-to-hand -hand combat. Not with human beings, the Bible says. But with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion. Their leader, the Bible makes us understand, took a third of them. Does anybody know the number exactly that a third is? Nobody knows how many angels God created. But their leader, Satan, convinced a third of them to rebel against God. And the third of them who followed him in rebellion, he has organized into a hierarchy as his army. Very organized. And against these demon gods and evil spirits are the ones we are in hand-to-hand -hand combat with. The message says this. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget in a couple of hours. 
This, that is this fight, this war, is for keeps. A life or death fight to the finish against the devils and all his angels. So one translation says, we're wrestling against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness. Another one puts it in more modern language. We're in a hand-to-hand -hand combat with principalities and authorities operating in rebellion. A powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that holds this dark world in bondage. The message says, it's a real fight. It's for keeps. A life or death fight to the finish against the devils and all his angels. So we understand that that's what it is. A war. A life or death fight. Wrestling against. A structured army. Organized army. They're not just doing anything they like. They are organized with a commander in chief. And we also understand where their headquarters is. Because the Bible tells us that in the heavenly realms. And I'm sure you know that the Bible tells us there are at least three heavens. There's the heavens of heavens where God sits. Where you and I go to when we depart this world. There's a heavenly realms that exists under that. And that's where they is the seat, the headquarters of this organized army of wickedness. From there, they do all they are doing here. And of course, they are the heavens, as the Bible says, the stars and the skies and whatever is there. So it's two kingdoms that are fighting against each other. A kingdom of darkness that has at the apex our adversary Satan. And then he's organized it, as the Bible tells us, to achieve his purpose. And then the kingdom of God, that of course has God at the top. And if there's any scripture that helps us understand spiritual warfare, it surely must be Daniel's encounter. I think it is apt for you because you're exactly where Daniel was. You're fasting and praying. So this should give you some understanding of things that are happening in a realm that you can't see with your natural eyes or you can't, you can't hear what is happening with your natural ears. So if you turn to Daniel the 10th chapter, Daniel the 10th chapter, I want to read a significant part of that. In the year, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a, me a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. 
I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river that is, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of offers. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like the torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. What he saw was an angelic being. Yeah, I just wanted to read that so that we understand that these beings exist. We can't take a bit of the Bible and throw away the rest of it. Either we believe this Bible or we don't. And I, I Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me, with me did not see the vision. But a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision. And no strength remained in me for my vigor was turned to frailty in me and I retained no strength. Yet... I heard the sound of his words. And while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. Suddenly a, a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. You know, there's so much encouragement in this scripture. You know, scripture will back up scripture. From the first day, Daniel, this angelic being brought this message to him. Daniel had set himself to fasting because he wanted a revelation that was going to affect the nation. And so he was fasting and praying, as was his custom, for three weeks. And then this angelic being appears to him. And I love how the angelic being says to him, Daniel, you're beloved. That is who you are and who I am. In the eyes of God, you are his beloved. Daniel had to earn it, but we receive it by grace. And he says, from the moment you spoke, and in spiritual warfare, that's very encouraging for me. That we have a Father in heaven who is listening. A Father in heaven whose eyes are on his children. A Father in heaven who's attentive to our cries. And Daniel didn't even have the new covenant. It says, from the moment you spoke... From the time you humbled yourself, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. His words were heard. Your prayers were heard. And the angel came, was sent in response to the prayers of Daniel. 
No one should tell you that our prayers don't matter. Our prayers, if you knew how much your prayers were doing things, you would never cease praying. It's just that they're doing things in realms that are not obvious to our natural eyes. So sometimes we don't know how much progress, how things are turning out, how things are being moved, positioned. We just don't know. We can only know by faith in the Word of God. So when we look at the Word of God, the Word of God says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So when you pray, you know that I might not see anything, but things are moving. God is moving. There are angelic movements. Things are being positioned. Things are being built. Things are being torn down. Things are being uprooted. I can't see it. But the word of God tells me that my prayer is dynamic working in its power. And then he tells him something that is staggering. He says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. So here is an angel that is coming with a message from God. An answer to the prayers of a, a beloved, the beloved of God. And the angel is now revealing some things that have happened. That from the first day you spoke those words, they were heard. Hallelujah for that. And they were not, they were not, they were not just heard, they were answered. But as I came with the answer, a prince of a principality, a prince over an area, someone of high rank in the opposing army withstood me. And because he was of high rank, I was, I was held I was stopped for 21 days. And in those 21 days, Daniel never stopped praying. Is it any wonder that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ would say one of the most important parables on prayer? Men ought always to pray and not to get faint, not to get tired or weary. Because I can imagine Daniel fasting and praying like you, like me, and thinking, but nothing has happened day one. Nothing happened day three. Nothing has happened day seven. Nothing has happened day 11. Nothing has happened day 17. And unknown to him, there's a conflict that is going on in a realm that he cannot see. And his prayers can affect that conflict. But Daniel had something that the church doesn't have anymore. At least not the way we should, like the saints of old. Who understood what it was to pray through something. Pray through. 
not to stop, not to give up. The metaphor is to hold the horns of the altar of prayer and refuse to let go. Because like Jesus tells us about prayer, it is about a reward. What you do in secret, your Father rewards you openly. There is a reward to prayer. What is the reward to prayer? There are actually two rewards to prayer. The first obvious one is the answer to our prayers. The second one, which we don't often think about, which is more important than even the answer, is God himself. Because when you enter this kind of prayer, your revelation of God changes. It deepens. Your encounters with God, God becomes more real. That's the blessing of this kind of prayer. And then he says, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. So it wasn't just one principality that came against this angel. Kings, they were determined that this answer is going to advance the other kingdom and it's going to work against us. I guess the instruction from their headquarters was stop that angel at all costs. And I'm sure that because they work in hierarchy, as the princes, principalities were doing their work, guess what? They would have sent their foot soldiers. And who are their foot soldiers? Jesus' ministry was dealing with all their foot soldiers because he had dealt with their princes. They are the demons they send on assignment. A bit of lust here, a bit of envy there, a bit of jealousy here. And what are they trying to do? They are trying to get, get Daniel out of that place. So whilst they are working there, they are working here. But I can imagine Daniel. I'm going to hold on to the horns of this altar of prayer. God has said it has to come to pass. He's not a man that he should lie. He made a promise. And he says, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now, because Michael came, now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision refers to many days to come. He says, I've come to tell you what you were asking God for. And then if you read verse 20. Or if you want to read from verse 18, just understand some more of that realm. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. That, of course, was an angelic being. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. Can I say that to someone? Fear not, peace be with you. Be strong in this battle. Yes, be strong. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? And then listen to what he says. He says, and now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. 
And when I have gone forth, indeed the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. He says, I've brought the answer, but going back, they are waiting for me. And he has called reinforcements. It's not just him now I have to deal with. I have to deal with also the prince, another one of his, his colleagues, the prince of Greece. And if it wasn't for Michael, they would deal with me on the way back. So what does this tell us? And this is, this is where I was going. <laughs> oh, Lord. Somebody say, say, just put your hand on your head and say, God, just give me revelation now. Go on, say that. Say that. Go on. I can't hear you. Just say, God, give me revelation. Revelation. Because, you see, it is, it is knowledge. And then the wisdom that comes from the Spirit of God, that is power. That's why in, 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 uh, in uh, Isaiah, the 11th chapter, when it talks about the sevenfold Spirit of God, one of the two it talks about, after the first, the Spirit of God, it talks about the Spirit of wisdom and the Spirit of revelation. It's the Holy Spirit that brings wisdom and revelation. So, what, what does this tell us? It tells us, firstly, and this is important to understand this, that, you know, when we think about spiritual warfare, I mean, you know, confess to, to being like me, you know, we think of angels with swords fighting and clashing and, you know, how, how, many, how many in here actually think of that when you think of spiritual warfare? Angels who are fighting each other. I don't know how they fight spiritually. I really don't know. I know there's descriptions of angels with swords, but I don't know how they fight. However, I know that the spirit realm is highly organized. And maybe because I have a legal mind, it's very legal in the spirit realm. And if there's one group of people who don't understand it, it is us in the church. Every other person who is a participant understands how structured and legal it is. It is very hierarchical in how they fight. The angel says, I was coming. But an angel of superior ranking from the opposition met me and stopped me. I'm a good guy. I'm a good angel. I was sent by God to you, Daniel. But because of how it is organized in that realm, an angel of superior ranking, a prince, principality, stopped me. And for 21 days, I was going nowhere until another angel came. And this is the angel who has the highest ranking in the angelic realm. The Bible only tells us about one archangel. It, it hints at a second one who's Gabriel the messenger, but categorically tells us about one archangel, Michael. 
That's why in Jude, the first chapter and the ninth verse, when there was this contention over Moses' body, and don't ask me what they were fighting over Moses' body for, I have no idea. It was the archangel Michael that stood in contention with Satan over Moses' body. So that was the highest ranking angel. And you know, when he appeared on the scene, the prince of Persia said, it's okay. You see, that's how the spirit realm works. They are not, they are not, they are not disobedient and, you know, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. Everybody understands their position. Once Michael appeared, the prince said, that's okay. There's no need. I back off. Because he understands that superior rank has arrived and you must back off because Michael has arrived. But you know what the challenge would have been? There's only one Michael. And there are billions of us, certainly hundreds of millions of us Christians praying. So what would have happened is that whilst I'm praying, Michael is sorting Ayo out. I have to wait. When he finishes with Ayo, he can say, I need to sort Mark out. I have to wait. And so it's going to take forever. Because there's just one Michael. God is not creating new angels. So what does God do? <laughs> he restores the original order. How does he do that? Jesus goes to the cross. Dies on the cross is resurrected and when he's resurrected where does he go he goes to sit in heavenly places and the bible makes us understand in ephesians 1 verses 19 to 23 that in those heavenly places as the bible says i want to read this scripture to you it's actually a scripture that paul prayed so this is me praying for you that you will get this revelation so paul says i pray that you will get a revelation of what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. According, according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Paul says, I pray that you will get a revelation of the power that you have. Paul says, the problem is that you don't have a revelation of your power. So he was praying for the church in Ephesus. May you get a revelation of your power. And he says that power, he demonstrated it for you when he raised Jesus from the dead. And then he seated him at his right hand, at his right hand in heavenly places. Far above. Somebody say with me, far above. Say it again. Where, where was he seated? In heavenly places. Now, what heavenly place? We know there are three but we know that God is only in one. So Christ was seated in heaven. Not in the heavenly realms. In heaven. So positionally, he was seated at the top. Because of course, it all ends with God. Above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. 
So where is he seated? Above all these things that were happening for Daniel. Above Michael fighting princes of Persia, princes of Greece, princes of Zimbabwe, princes of Jamaica, princes of Nigeria, princes of Germany, some crazy princes from North Korea. Above all this, Christ goes back to his, his, his original place, seated next to God. Above everything that is a principality, power, dominion, rule, authority, and in fact, everything that has a name. But then this is the clincher. Oh Lord. May we know who we are. Ephesians 2 verses 4 to 7. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ. So out of mercy and love God looked at this state of things and thought it's not going to work for you. One Michael only one <laughs> we are going to be fasting and praying forever for him to even come and do one thing if what I'm about to describe to you hadn't happened my God this fast we will fast we will fast for the whole year just to get Michael to to move to us because whilst you're looking for Michael in London Somebody is fasting in China. And you know the Christians in China, if you think you're fasting, those guys, they fast and they pray. So if Michael is responding to their prayer, it's going to take a long time before he comes to London to the Christian here that is, is, uh, is uh, eating uh, burgers and eating chips and praying for two minutes. Uh, it's going to take a long time, long time, long time. So God says, let me just sort it out for you by grace. And so the Bible says, because of his rich in mercy, because of his great love, when we were dead in our trespasses, trapped in the kingdom of darkness, he made us alive together with Christ. So we, the Bible says, by grace you have been saved. He did it not, we didn't earn it. We were under all this, this, this hierarchy, we were being dealt with. But by grace you have been saved. And then guess what he did? and raised us up together oh god of mercy and made us sit together in the heavenly places the same place where christ is sitting in christ jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in christ jesus what is the bible saying somebody should have celebrated by this time that that he he, he sent Christ. Christ died, was resurrected. Then Christ goes back to his original position in the heaven of heavens, seated next to God. But he didn't stop there. For those of us who have accepted Christ, because of his grace, his mercy, he now says, raise them up too. So that in you, Christ, they are seated positionally in the same place. So, you and I are seated above all what Daniel had to deal with. Daniel did not have the privilege that you and I have 
and yet he got his answer. You and I have the privilege of sitting above all that. And then he says, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The ages to come, we are in those ages. And we see the exceeding riches of his kindness to us who are in Christ Jesus. We are overwhelmed by this kind of kindness. It, someone like me with my issues, elevated above those princes, elevated above those powers, elevated above those, those dominions. Yes! And when he's teaching the church in Ephesus, he says, and he put all things under his feet. He's the head. The head cannot be the feet at the same time. He doesn't want to be the feet. The way that the hierarchy was established, re-established, was that all these things, what Daniel was contending with is under the feet of Christ. And if we are the body of Christ, then all those things are under our feet. And so let me, as they say, let me bring it down, let me land. So this is what Jesus was talking about. When Peter had a revelation, like you're having tonight, and he said, Peter, you get it. You understand. It can't be flesh and blood. That revelation you have is what we need to totally change things. He says, flesh and blood could not have revealed it to you. Impossible. And tonight, I sense somebody's getting that revelation and thinking, really? You know, when you have this revelation, guess what? You say, bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. Please, please bring it on. Just you dare, bring it on. I'm not your mate, as they say in Nigeria, in Africa. I say, I'm not your mate. We're not fighting at the same level. No, I am seated above you. Bring it on. And I will show you that I have size 10 or size 12 shoes. Bring it on. Because of revelation. We're not fighting as equals. No. And by the way, I'm not fighting for victory. No. Colossians 2 verse 15. He disarmed principalities and powers. By this same principalities and powers. This is what Daniel didn't have. You know, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Joshua, Moses, Abraham. The patriarchs. The prophets. They must be sitting in heaven thinking, wow. What kind of guys are these? And they must be having conversations in heaven saying, but they have it so easy. Daniel will say, I fought from 
I was at the level with these guys. They, Paul would say, they, well, Paul had, Paul had what we have. Daniel would say, they buffeted me. They dealt with, Gideon would say, they dealt with me. And these guys are seated above this whole thing and they don't know. So when Peter got that revelation, Matthew 16 from verse 17, Jesus said to him, Peter, you are blessed, you are blessed. One translation says you are favored and privileged that you have this revelation. It says, one translation says, for you could not have discovered this on your own. My Father in heaven has supernaturally re revealed it to you. Now, because of that, Jesus says, that revelation, it's almost like Jesus is saying, I can't do much if you don't have this revelation. This, I'm limited. You've, you've handicapped me. And so why is a lot of the church still weak and, 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 and the church is not advancing, the kingdom is not advancing like it should? Because a lot of the church doesn't have the revelation. We sing nice songs. We do great conferences. But the revelation, since it is war, And it says, Peter, because you've got that revelation, now, on that revelation, one translation says, the, the Passion's translation says, that revelation of who I am will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church. The bedrock foundation on which I will build my church. It says, my legislative assembly, and this is where I was going, my legislative assembly, that revelation of where you are positionally. We can now get on with the work. That's what, God, what Jesus is saying. And what is the work? The work is that you're my legislative assembly. The other kingdom wants to legislate its laws. What are its laws? John 10 verse 10. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, now I've found some people who can legislate my own laws, make decrees that will cause all kinds of things to happen. And the power of hell cannot overcome that person who has that revelation. And this is the clincher. How do we legislate? You know, some people, I've heard some people tease that these Christians, you bind, bind, bind. The person you bound yesterday is loose today. Yes, because the binding did not work. It's not in the words. It is definitely not in the words. Two million people can bind and nobody's bound. Because it's not in the words. It's in the revelation, the knowledge. Knowledge is power. So when I understand what I've told you, when I bind, I don't expect a peep squeak from anybody. Because I'm not binding on your level. I am binding from the highest place where I'm seated. You have no choice but to obey. That's spiritual warfare. When I lose... I'm losing from that place. You have no choice. You, you don't have a choice. It's a hierarchical thing. You have no choice. 
So what does the enemy do? He has to do one of two things. This is his strategy. First thing is to make sure you don't know who you are. Because if you don't know who you are, the words are empty. The sons of Sceva is the same thing that Paul said that they said. Same thing. So you can't say, oh, I saw Pastor Mark. I, I, no, you don't know his revelation. So please don't, don't exceed your revelation. It's actually dangerous. The sons of Sceva proved that. They exceeded their revelation. Those demons could not... I, I can imagine those demons thinking, what is going on now? Ah, Paul is troubling us. These ones want to trouble us. They couldn't believe it. You should read that account. The Bible says that they left the person they had possessed for a demon to deliver himself. Nobody delivered him. He left his home. It tells you that the demon was incensed. Because when they get a home, they want to stay there. They said, this, look at these boys. These seven boys. They say in the name of Christ that, Jesus, that Paul said, they say, look at you. You don't know who he is. You have no revelation. They left their home at the risk of not being able to come back and beat the living daylights out of those boys. A lot of Christians are being beaten up because of no revelation. The second thing he does is to try and shift you positionally. How does he shift you positionally? Christ is right next to Jesus, to God. Right next. Agu is in Christ. Right next to God. What is the one thing that is around God? That the book of Revelation helps us understand. That the, those angelic beings of worship cannot stop calling day and night. Because every which way God turns, turns is the one thing they see. The holiness of God. So what do they do? If we can get Agu to just get into sin. The presence of God cannot handle that. So positionally, he's moved out. It is not that it changes the order. No. In a sense, you are still there. Your place is there. Grace has bought your place there. But the sin cannot allow you to sit in your place. So you are moved out. So what does God do for you and I? Because he knows you and I. We will, we, would, we will go where we shouldn't go. So what does he do? He gives us his spirit. He puts himself in you and I. So that anytime you go left when you shouldn't, he tells you himself. That's what we call we are convicted when we do something. That's why if you find somebody who says they are Christian and they are living in sin, wallowing in, in the mock of a pig. They are not Christians. They are not. A Christian falls into sin when he makes a mistake. It's not a premeditated plan to live a sinful lifestyle. That guy, is you check his Christianity. Because it isn't possible. The Spirit of God in you, it, it will be screaming at you. You can't do that. You can't. 
You might fall into it, but you will feel so bad after. Because the conviction in you. So when you do it and nothing, you do it and you're whistling along. You, you come out of sin and then you go and, and sit in Costa and buy, get, drink a cappuccino and plan the next sin. You are not a Christian. You're not a Christian. You're not a Christian, please. You attend the church, but you're not a Christian. Because when you sin, when you sit in Costa, when they bring the cappuccino and you taste it, it will be bitter. Your whole heart will be bitter. You'll be troubled. People will come and see you, what is wrong? You can't tell them what is wrong. It's because of the sin and the conviction in your heart. And why that, why that conviction? Because they are trying to get you back. So what did God do? They rigged this thing in our favor. They said, because you will do this, John 1, 8 and 9. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. We'll provide the blood. So when you do, just come quickly under the blood. Now, it's not a license because they can check our hearts. They know our hearts. They know those who want to take advantage. But if perchance that you do, there's provision made back under the blood. The blood, the blood buys your place back in a sense. It's already been bought and paid for. But the blood transports you back into your place. So you can continue in the warfare. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you and bless you. I hope that makes some sense to someone. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We bless you, O God. So please, decree your legislative assembly. And incidentally, we don't make our own decrees. You don't have the power. And in that hierarchy, they are not interested in your words. They're not interested. These guys have been at this thing for 6,000 years. They are experts, experts. They, they pulled Solomon down. Please, give me a break. You, don't even you haven't even read all the books Solomon wrote for you. And they pulled him down. So just give me a break. Just, just accept that on your own, you are shish kebab for them. They will deal with you. So it's not your words. No, 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 no. Not our words. The decrees we make are their decrees. We find what they said. And when we find what they said, we, we decree it. And the most powerful decrees are when they say to you, decree this one. What happens? You see, whether you decree it or not, whether you decree it without them telling you or not, it's, it's so powerful because they wrote it. It's their word. But when they tell you, decree this one. You know, you should get excited because they've set everything up. And how do they tell you which to decree? As you're praying and you're fasting and you're worshipping, the Spirit comes upon a word. The word becomes a rema. It gets life. Once it gets life like that, <laughs> start decreeing. Start, start binding by that word. Start losing by that word. Start forbidding by that word. Start declaring by that word. Because their spirit, the spirit on it tells you that they are now ready. It's no longer a one week or whatever. They are now ready. He watches over his word and hastens. I've never heard the Bible say God is running, rushing anywhere. Never, never. Doesn't rush, doesn't hasten for anything. But there's one thing the Bible tells me he hastens about. 
when his word by his spirit is in the mouth of his child, he hastens. It's almost like God is saying, Michael, get ready. Get the boys. Get ready. Get ready. She's speaking. She's speaking. He's speaking. They're binding. They're losing. They're declaring. And it's not their own words. They're declaring my words. I want to see it come to pass. I'm in a hurry to see it come to pass. Hallelujah. Bring it on. That's what somebody should say. Bring it on. As long as it's for the kingdom of God. Father, we thank you. I thought we might have some time to pray, but we don't. Go home. Go home and go and be a legislative assembly, please. Go and, go and do some decreeing, please. Too many things happening that we should, we should disallow. Look at, look at your life. They're using you for target practice. Target practice. For making, what, what, what kind of nonsense is that? Target practice. Target practice. Please. One night. It's a true story. Around my house was like King's Cross at the Russia. This spiritual activity around the house. I said to Shola, it's like King's Cross, King's Cross at the Russia. Those ones are persons with bodies. These were bodiless persons, just flying around, just, just buzzing around. I just got up. I learned it from Dr. Onuzo. You know, a lot of things I've learned from him. I said, if, if, if I sleep and all these things I'm hearing spiritually, if they wake me up again, if I wake up, you will be sorry that I woke up. So you better make, make me sleep well and pray I don't wake up. I don't know who you pray to, but pray I don't wake up. And I went to sleep. I know who I am. Why are you coming to disturb me? At another time, I told them, I said, you see, I don't know all these people who live around me. But if you come to this house, oh, oh Lord, I could tell you stories. One young girl who meant well came to tell me what she thought God told her. She told me that some spirits came into the house. Pastor, I saw you. They came in, and she meant well. She was trying to encourage me that we should pray. She said, and they chased you. I said, they chased me. She said, yes. I said, where did I run? She said, you ran up the stairs. I said, they chased me, I ran up the stairs. I said, Agwiruku. She said, yes. I said, this is your pastor. She said, yes. I said, so what happened? She said, when you ran up the stairs, you ran into a room and you locked the door. I said, they chased me. I said, no. I don't know who you saw. It can never be Agwiruku they chased. Agwiruku. Even before I was a Christian, I was already fighting. Now that I know who I am, they chased me. In fact, when she left, I, 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 I remember telling Shola, they chased me. Shola was incensed because she has my same fightings. Incensed. They, they chased me. Chased me. I now went to go and look for them. That was the problem now. After a while, God said, I didn't send you. I was looking for them. I said, God, they, they said they were chasing me. I want to now find them. Where are they? Where are they chasing me? Where are they chasing me? I'm a child of God. Please. There's only one control tower. My pastor, Dr. Nzo, has always told me. One control tower. Not two. One control tower. And the control tower is in heaven. All we have to do is just make sure they don't pull you out of position with sin. Make sure anyone who wants to lure you to sin is 
They might not know that, there's, there's, that Satan is using them, but Satan is using them. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. Go and thank God for revelation if you got revelation. Go and thank God. Thank God for revelation. Thank God. And please, when you go home, please, let, 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 heaven, let, let God smile that legislators have woken up, legislators who are asleep. Please, go home and take the word of God and decree, decree certain things. Come in, come in by the blood. Always come in by the blood. And then receive imputed righteousness. Don't earn it. You can't earn it. So when you come, come by the blood and then receive imputed righteousness. I'm in right standing because Christ has done it for me. And the blood has washed me clean. I'm right before God. So now I want to make some decrees, some decrees, some decrees. I wish I could tell you some decrees publicly that I've made, but I won't say, I won't tell you. Mark, you understand. There are some offices some people will not see in my lifetime. In my lifetime, some people will not get into some offices. There's one, one person in, in the country I come from, Nigeria. Many people are talking. I, one day God woke me up and said, you better decree that this character will not see that office. I said, he wants to see it. God said, yes. But you better decree. So I got up and I decreed. I said, he would never, 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 not in my lifetime. And he's older than me, so he's going to die before me. So he's not seeing that office. End of the matter. I don't have to make any noise about it publicly. I just follow what they say we should legislate. Please legislate some things in your family. Legislate, please. No more of this nonsense in this family. No more. No more. This is rubbish. doesn't line up with God's word. No more. No more of this nonsense in the nation. No more. No more. No more. It's enough. No more of this, all this nonsense in the church. No more. It's enough. I stand up as a legislator. And I legislate. I decree. I bind. I forbid it. And you keep forbidding it, forbidding it until they tell you it's enough. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you and we bless you. We glorify your name. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name.